Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I'm Brittany Lombas. And we are recording in Brittany's apartment in Pigeontown, New Orleans. It's been a minute. It's been like a year, right? <laughs> yeah, easily. It feels so bizarre, but it feels also like, eh, it feels normal again. Um, I was really concerned because my dog probably, Nook probably hasn't like seen you in like a year, but um, she did like a couple of like, you know, zoomies and she seems fine. She just like a bullet run at me sometimes where she just like hurls her entire body. And it's like, there's certain people that she does that for. You're one of them. Like some people she'll just see them. And then like, it's like she explodes in energy and just like runs around like a bullet being shot. Um, So yeah, you're, you're blessed with that. Do you think I come over here more often than your mom? I, I assume the two of us are like top contenders for m- most visits. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my mom's a big one and she like, she'll like flip and do backflips and stuff like Hell that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of like, I really don't have people over. Cause like I have like one chair. It's a cozy space in here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No, it's good. I know everyone's always like, Ooh, cool. Like we should like go out on Oak street one night and stay at your apartment. And I'm like, bring your own chair <laughs> <laughs> or like you might have to sit outside. I don't know how to say it because I'll tell people I live in a studio and they're like, Oh, and I'm like, no, like I live in a studio. Like it's not, super tiny but it's literally like a room. it is yeah and we're kind of return turning it into like a literal like recording studio too yes, yes. i know and it, i guess it does well as a recording studio too yeah it's fine god i love this place yeah well we are here to talk about movies as usual mm-hmm. this is the podcast version of the movie review website swamp flicks i've been trying to think about lately like what this show even is and i i think there are like so few people who listen that it is just like a book club. <laughs> We're like making records of like our like uh, weekly meetings to like discuss the weekly reading. And uh, it's not really for anyone else. I know, but I love that. Like at first, like I forgot who I was talking to and they were like, oh, like, so what do you get paid for this Swamp Flicks thing? And I'm like, no, I'm like, but I love it because like it keeps me like invested in the movie world. It gives me something to like keep up with. And also I love like being able to say shit didn't we talk about that movie in swamp flicks what was it about again and i can like go to our own private collective it feels like yes. and listen to all that all of our like thoughts on everything the very extensive diary of like all the bullshit i've watched yes. over the past six years <laughs> is like the most useful it is to anyone i think <laughs> every now and then like somebody will like say hey i listened to like that episode that you shared and i'm like freaking out and i'm like yes keep- shocking i know <laughs> keep listening well if you do listen to the show and you have any recommendations for movies or like anything you want us to talk about swampflicks at gmail.com or even if you want to say that you're listening yeah that you exist <laughs> please we used to ask people to like rate and subscribe us on like itunes and stuff and it's literally been like three or four years since that last happened so i'm giving that up just literally email us just let us know <laughs> let us know that you're someone's listening it's like um what do they call them? CB radios? Like, yeah, is, yeah. It, <laughs> is anyone listening? <laughs> Someone's CB handle is Mr. Hot Dog Boy, which is like perfect for that uh, that system. I know. Please. I hope he never retires from trucking. <laughs> Keep on trucking, Please. Mr. Hot Dog Boy. <laughs> well, to that end, what movies do you want to put on the public record uh, that you've been watching lately? So I'm going to start off with a movie that I'm going to be honest. I didn't finish it because it sucked so much. Whoa. Um, harsh very harsh and like i'm really open to like watching movies but if it gets to the point where i'm like i am bored (laughs) i can't focus i would rather like read my 
emails to see what coupons I'm getting for shit that I don't need and probably won't even buy. Like, that's how bored I was. Those who wished me dead. Oh, was that the um, firefighter thriller starring Angelina Jolie? Yes, it is. So it's a new movie. I think it's in theaters because like it's I, I watched it on HBO Max and HBO Max is that thing where it's like this is going to be on for like a month. Yeah, it's, it's like Warner theaters. Brothers specific uh, deal. So I saw like Angelina Jolie on the cover with like just, you know, flames around her. She's looking gorgeous. And I'm like, you know, she has not been in a movie other than like Maleficent for like a hot minute. Right. I love her. I like her. Uh, movies a lot love her vibes as an actress i'm just like i love angelina jolie so i was really excited it was so bad (laughs) so bad she might have been the only redeeming thing about it but because she's such a good actress like everything she did came across as like overacting and it got really annoying this movie felt like a straight to 2b tv movie oh wow and i was super surprised that it was it's gonna be in theaters or it is in theaters that shocks me to my core. Hey, I will say the first Street to Tubi movie, Beast Beast, I was just praising off mic uh, <laughs> as like a great film, like one of the best of 2021 so far. So Tubi is actually doing better than Warner Brothers and HBO Max as far well, as that track goes. on Tubi yet. It just gives <laughs> off like Tubi vibes. <laughs> the vibe I got from the ad, um, just as someone who hasn't seen it, was it felt like a thriller from the 90s that just like crash landed here in the wrong decade but like not even good because i love 90s thrillers like steven seagal those sh- shitty arnold schwarzenegger thrillers like all really good stuff and this like didn't even hit that mark basically like she is a smoke jumper <laughs> um which i didn't know what that was really because like there's a lot of flashbacks where there's like a forest fire and she's a smoke jumper so she gets like thrown into forest fires through a parachute from like a, a helicopter or a plane to like be the first person there to like put the fire out. And um, through flashbacks, we can see that she didn't put out a, a gigantic wildfire and a couple of uh, people died from it. So she kind of like dwells on it a lot during the movie, but what's the word for it? Like she's still super glamorous in this role. Like it's just bizarre where you're like, it's literally Angelina Jolie. Supermodel bone structure. Supermodel dressed as like a smoke jumper <laughs> and just sitting on like the edge of a cliff and like, you know, dwelling on like how three people died and she thinks it's her fault. I remember thinking about that with that um, Charlize Theron, Jillian Flynn movie we watched recently where she was um, oh, yeah. wearing like the baseball cap and like <laughs> trying to look all rugged. Like it's like, you're still incredibly hot. <laughs> right. Well, same thing with, with her in this movie. And... Basically, there's, like, some kind of other plot that goes alongside it where there's, like, these assassins that are killing people and this little boy um, is escaping the assassins with his dad and his dad gets killed and then he somehow finds Angelina Jolie and then, like, they're both, like, trying to find safety together. I just didn't care. Like, it was just... I, I don't know how to really explain how boring this movie was. <laughs> and I guess I'm not in, it felt like, you know, how they have those like TV shows where it's like firefighters or fire rescue men and all it's like, it kind of feels like that where, yeah. I mean, I thank you first responders, but like, I just don't, 
get jazz watching like people put out fires and save people i don't know it's kind of a macho thing right there's like a macho um, thing even though angelina jolie's like being a model and doing her thing like it still feels like macho and kind of like does she get some ass kicking in with these uh bad guys that are tailing her and the kid i mean i didn't get that far oh no maybe (laughs) Maybe so (laughs) maybe there's some like third act i just couldn't focus like I, i don't know it just i was so i was just so surprised but how like shitty it was and yeah so it's disappointing i like really wouldn't watch it um i definitely wouldn't pay to watch it yeah but i did watch a really good movie Mm. that was on netflix the woman in the window see i've heard a lot of conflicting things about this the general consensus is that it's awful like all critics hate this movie loved it but every time someone describes it it sounds great like, everyone's like, it's awful because A, B, and C. I'm like, well, all three of those things sound amazing. So I didn't really read too much with the criticism about it. But before um, we got on mic, we were kind of talking about, like, movies that came out this year. And how, like, I really haven't found a movie this year that I'm like, oh, my God, it's changing my life. It's, like, one of my favorites ever. Or just a movie I'm obsessed with. I'm not obsessed with this one. I don't think it's the best movie in the world. But it's, like, probably one of the best movies I've seen mm. that came out this year. Maybe... I like it so much because we recently did like that Hitchcock episode and this movie is very Hitchcockian. It's very rear. It's like rear window, a little bit of Gone Girl as well. Second Gillian Flynn reference today. Yes. Oh my God. We're on a roll. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll have more later. Uh, I don't probably know. Not. Probably not. That might be it. But the thing that kind of sets it apart from being super like Hitchcockian is the main character played by Amy Adams. She's not like that glamorous main female character that he has in a lot of his movies. Like she's kind of, you know, frazzled and she has no makeup and she's like agoraphobic and she kind of walks around her like giant brownstone that she somehow is able to pay the taxes on um, <laughs> because it doesn't really, it doesn't seem like she's working, um, but she kind of just walks around in her, um, her brownstone with this like giant robe all day and like kind of creeps around windows and watches people and mixes pills with alcohol. Mm, Yes. (laughs) So there's some obvious issues with her. Like she's, she talks to herself a lot and there's a lot of references to a family that she has that isn't with her. So you don't really know, like, did she do something to where like she had her kids taken away from her? Are they dead? Like there's just, they're not there and you don't really know why they're not there. You find out later. But there's, she talks to herself a lot. There's a lot of like scenes where there's like voices and you're trying to figure out if she's like talking to someone on the phone or if she's just talking to herself or if it's all in her head. Um, So obviously something happened that like really threw her off. She used to be like a therapist. She's not practicing anymore. She can't leave her house. She's alone. And these people move in across the street and she starts to kind of, you know, look at him through her window She's the woman in the window. That's mm-hmm. what she does. And one, uh, the little boy, not little boys, like 15, 16 comes over and he seems kind of like off a little bit. Um, so she kind of like really empathizes with him. And while she's um, looking out the window one night, she sees like that there's some violence going on. So she kind of um, offers her key to him and is like, you know, I'm here for you if you need me, if you need to talk about any like abuse that's going on. And Gary Oldman is his dad and he comes off as this like macho, like abusive person. And his mom is played by Julianne Moore. Ooh, I know. And 
while she's peeking out the window another night, she sees that Julian Moore is dead, like gets murdered. She sees her get murdered, but she doesn't see who killed her. So she calls the police, which seems to be like something she does because they don't take her quite seriously. Like this kind of feels like her thing is like creeping on neighbors and calling the cops on everything. What's going on today? Exactly. And she says, you know, I saw like my neighbor get murdered, but there's no proof that it happened. And then Gary Ullman's character comes over with his wife, who she thought was Julian Moore, who she saw get murdered. But it's not. It's I can't I can't freaking think of her uh, name. Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. So she's like starting to question her sanity or she's like, are they fucking with me? Am I losing it? But what this and I'm of course I'm not going to get too much into it because it's a huge part of the plot. What I liked about it a lot is like the way that it's filmed. Like there are these really good scenes where, you know, while she's, you know, taking her pills and kind of like zoning out and really getting into her depression in her roundstone she watches these old movies like Rebecca or um, I even think rear window might've been one of them, but like all these like neo noir kind of, or I'm mean, sorry, at least it's noir movies about it. Yeah. And it's like, while she's like in her days, like the whole background of her will be like the movie playing and oh, I can't cool. explain it, but it's like, so- like a green screen. Like she's inside of it. Yes. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful. And there's like a scene. Well, the scene, whenever, Julian Moore gets murdered like the blood splatters on the window and the camera zooms in in this very like um you know Hitchcock way like the, like I don't want to say like the vertigo effect that like pull focus like yeah but it would be the opposite way right it gets like way closer kind, yeah, yeah like okay. kind of and like the blood splatter feels almost animated okay um but yeah it's cool it's just cool how like all these different techniques are kind of sprinkled in like they don't happen a lot but they happen and it's just really beautiful and i liked it it's just a good basic classic thriller and it doesn't have like a lot of bells and whistles but i like that it's very straightforward some parts are very predictable whatever it's a good movie and i i loved it it sounds cool honestly like, I heard people being like, it kind of starts like a Lifetime movie, and then there's, like, some Jollo shots. Why does everyone hate Lifetime movies? And it's like, well, that sounds amazing. <laughs> you know? I know. Like, okay, the thing is, is when people start saying, like, oh, such like a Lifetime movie, like, is that a bad thing? Because they keep making them, and people keep watching them because right. they're good. Yeah. I want to say there was another Netflix movie recently that was, like, a ghost story with a housewife going crazy in her oh, house with uh, is that one with amanda seyfried yeah that one i didn't watch it i heard the same reviews it was just like oh this movie has too many things going on none of them work and then as people were describing like the different things i'm like well each one of those things they individually sound sounds great, great. <laughs> so i need to check out both of those yeah. so what have you been watching well speaking of classic noir you recently had a mix-up with criterion ordering did, a movie called leave her to heaven from 1945 how did you pick that movie, by the way, when you ordered that? Um, my great grandma used to watch it. Ooh. My mama Jane from Ain't Becky's. She would watch like, did she have Leave Her to, Leave Her to Heaven and then Backstreet Classic. and A Summer Place? And I would just like she would like play movies all day. And I think like she was going through dementia, so she like watch familiar films and yeah. i think that was just one of them and it's so fucked up like i remember watching it with her and i'm like holy hell like well the reason i got it from criterion was a like the memories that go with it and then b like 
is just so good and it's so ahead of its time with how dark it is that like i can't really think of that many films from that era that like go there and films today don't even go that far i think yeah well basically what happened was you ordered the blu-ray and the case was smashed and you emailed criterion about it and they sent you a fresh copy yeah i just emailed them to be like oh can i just like buy like one new case because it was a blu-ray and their blu-rays have a very particular size like yeah it's a weird size yeah like you can't just go to like a thrift store buy like a shitty blu-ray and like take the cover and they were like oh no we apologize like we'll just send you a brand new one and donate your other one to a friend or the library (laughs) like oh (laughs) well i got a sweet blu-ray out of the deal i was your (laughs) library donation um and i honestly knew nothing about this when i put it on i was like i'm gonna go in blind and watch this uh Mm blu-ray image quality fucking insane it's a technicolor film and it's so crisp in that blu-ray i could see the makeup on the actor's face (laughs) it's just like a little too like high definition but looked fantastic um jean tierney the main actress she wears this like harsh red lipstick through most of it so intense um and it, it was like eye searing it was fantastic um the movie jean tierney plays a housewife who basically is too into being a housewife like actually you know what this will be my my third gillian flynn reference this episode <laughs> we can't stop <laughs> I can't stop she feels like she walked out of like a trashy like gillian flynn or like ira levin <laughs> novel where like she is insanely jealous of anyone or anything that could take up any of her husband's time and seeks to eliminate that threat through any means possible so this extends to like his family her family her own baby like his career she will systematically destroy anything that takes up any of his time i did not know where this movie was going because the beginning is kind of this like courtship period that's like kind of sweet between the two of them and set in the midwest i'm sorry the southwest and you wouldn't really know what the movie's going to become through that early stretch it's like when they get to Georgia in the second act and they're actually married and she like starts to eliminate anyone or anything that could like take any time yeah. alone away from her with him. I think that's what ma- makes it feel so dark is that the film starts out so kind of, not, I won't say like loving, but you're like, oh, this is kind of sweet, like good for them. And a lot of movies, they like off the bat make you like, hate that character that's awful like they're like this is the bad person but that one kind of i remember like it kind of pulling me in a little bit and then that whenever she kind of starts to do all her super fucked up shit it was like 10 times worse the trick there is like they're warning him the the other family members are like she's really independent like that's her like flaw in the first act and to you as an audience you're like oh she's an independent woman that's cool as hell and they're like oh don't worry about her you don't need to like protect her you need to protect yourself from her which we don't know what that means at that time right um it's not until like she starts being like i don't want anyone to be (laughs) in our presence ever i just want the two of us in a house and nothing else um and i will ruthlessly make sure that happens what did you think about the um the lake scene that is the classic scene that everyone kind of points out when you talk about this movie okay yeah it is so like haunting Because it happens so slowly. Like, it's not like a quick thing that happens. It's like a a really horrible, slow thing you're watching. And, like, she is so still and, like, giving no fucks while this happens. It's ice cold. Very ice cold. And it's terrifying. And I will say the uh, the last act is, like, a courtroom, um, like, fallout. And 
what I found interesting about that is like, okay, she does all these awful things. She like is a murderer in the film. <laughs> and usually in like Hays Code era movies, like you have to kill that person and like teach them a lesson. Like even um in the bad seed, like Rhoda Penn Market spanked over the end credits and like struck by lightning to like uh, <laughs> that's, you know. that's what she gets. Yeah. In this movie, that does happen. She's like kind of like punished for killing people, but the way the movie does it is like she makes the decisions of like how she goes out mm. and then like after that turn she's still fucking people's lives up um as she's been like removed from the picture so yeah you would think she would get punished for that lakes that lake scene in particular cuz then it's like so ice cold <sighs> but really she like she continues to manipulate after her punishment and it's fantastic right. yeah great film honestly like i i I'm didn't know it, it was coming i love that I love that trope in general of just women misbehaving. Oh, it's so good. Especially from like the 40s and yeah. early 50s. Like, uh, I like those like Joan Crawford kind of comeback. I've watched a days. bunch of those like 40s um, Joan Crawford noirs lately. And oh, this they're was, so like, good. This was like right in line with those. Good. Yay. But in this case, it's a little weird because like she's playing that femme fatale kind of trope that Joan Crawford played in a few of those noirs, but. She's a femme fatale in that she's, like, too good of a housewife. Like, she, like, takes on the duties of a housewife too sinisterly, like, too emphatically, and that's what kills people. They should have just given her some room. Like, that's what they (laughs) need to do with women. I mean, she was probably leading, like, the feminist movement at that point. If you think about it, like, there is a expectation that when you marry someone, they're supposed to be your everything. Like... Mm-hmm. they're supposed to be your entire world and like no one else matters, but that central relationship. And this movie, Terrifying. this movie commits to that and makes it scary. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Oh God, it's a horror show. <laughs> so yeah, I, I very much am appreciated that gift. I'm, uh, I'm going to keep that in the collection uh, permanently. Well, good. I also watched a movie. I think you would be interested in called out of the dark from 1988. This might fit a little more in line with, um, the types of movies we're talking about later in the episode. Oh, it's that kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, it's trash. But um, <laughs> it's also kind of a noir throwback from the 80s. Okay. Um, the reason I watched it is because your pick for movie of the month for May was Trouble in Mind, which was an 80s noir throwback yeah. featuring Divine in a small role out of drag as a mobster. And out of the Hilly dark, blue. Divine appears briefly as a police detective oh. out of drag. Oh, wow. Um, And he's doing very broad shtick. He's doing that, like, cigar chomping, like, oh, I'm going to show you what the real thing's going on here. Like, more drag than Divine almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's doing macho drag. <laughs> he's not the only B actor who has a small role in here. Okay. Um, also, Tab Hunter from, you know polyester and um lost in the dust also paul bartell who's like one of my favorite b-movie personalities mm. and directed lost in the dust um bud court karen black like a few like oh my God. big big namers you know if you belong to a certain trash community these are like the hall of famers you know um, <laughs> i'm so excited right now so they're all in small roles they're not really involved in the central plot they just kind of like pop up okay the movie is a slasher noir um, about a call service, like a um, phone sex hotline in L.A. All these girls just sort of like hang out in this like kind of office space and they're all having like fun, flirty 
phone calls with like perverts where they're like leading them on over the phone to get them to come and like kind of like keeping them on the line to like rack up the the minutes right and they all start getting picked off one by one by a serial killer in a clown mask oh my god (laughs) it is a sleazy ass like cinemax type um skinemax type slasher that just happens to have all these like kind of hall of famer b-movie actors that pop up here or there throughout it um, this sounds really good. It's fun. It's on Tubi. Of course it's of on course Tubi. Of course it is. <laughs> Divine wears like the most ridiculous fake mustache you've ever seen outside like an SNL sketch. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, Paul Bartel likewise has a horrible fake wig in it. Uh, famously bald Paul, Paul Bartel. Paul Bartel. That was hard to say. Bald Paul Bartel. Bald, bald Bartel. <laughs> I should say we're also um, watching uh, Eating Raul, a Paul Bartel classic on uh, this show next week. Oh, so nice. This was good synergy there as well. Which um, I've never seen that movie either. But if any of those names mean anything to you, like... You gotta watch this movie, right? Like, yeah, they all mean something to <laughs> right? me, so I obviously need to see it. Yeah. Um, if they don't mean anything to you, like, I don't know if this, like, sleazy slasher should be, like, something you seek out. At least not as much as, like, Leave Her to Heaven, which was, like, an all-time classic. <laughs> but uh, it was still, like, amazing that I'd never seen this before. I think it was Divine's last credited role before he died. Really? And I think I found it because I was doing... You know, every month for our movie of the month, I do like a bonus features thing where I'm like, I pick something about the movie of the month and try to link it to other movies. Yeah. Um, this one, I was like, what are the movies where Divine appears out of drag? I saw that uh, that write up. Um, were there any others other than not really that one? Yeah, there was the documentary I'm Divine, which right. is the first movie you and I ever saw in a theater together. Yeah. Uh, there was obviously Trouble in Mind, Out of the Dark. And then the two John Waters films, um, Hairspray Female Trouble. and Female Trouble. Hairspray, I think, was my favorite of those two because he plays a disgusting racist bigot uh, who runs the uh, television station. It's just fucking disgusting in that movie on purpose. And it's, it's fantastic. Right. Does a good job. Oh, yeah. Does a good job at it. I feel like he was channeling some like, you know, high school principal or like some adult authority figure from his childhood that he fucking loathed. I feel like in his like little, you know, out of drag pop up in hairspray reminded me so much of his character in female trouble like they have that same like scowl face they're sweaty and they talk like this yeah like this. <laughs> yeah yeah and he was he was gonna be on married with children as their like male next door neighbor oh my, um and oh my he god died that would have been film it. so great yeah perfect fit it's very tragic that didn't happen yeah trashy movie for a trash queen Maybe our or trashy um, TV show. <laughs> maybe our altar to divine as like a religious figure is our uh, other purpose as a podcast and a website at this point. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can. Uh, I can at least. I can at least feel proud that we're an altar to that screen presence. Yeah, the best. I love that about us. <laughs> well, we will be dwelling in trash for the rest of the episode. Mm. I like to think of this as a continuation of the last time you and I recorded by ourselves. I want to do another investigative report. Of yes. A weird incident <laughs> in cinema history. Um, uh, we're going to start with a trashy sort of anonymous regional horror film from the 70s. And then a documentary made about that movie afterwards uh, that kind of revealed another layer to its um, insanity. Oh yeah. We need to come up with like a, a sign off that's like reporting to you live or something like that. Like, I love this. This is like Dateline Swamp Flicks. Marshline. Marshline. <laughs> Coming up on Marshline 2020. Yes. <laughs> We're going to dig into a. Uh, dig into the ditch. Yeah. 
And all that's coming up to you right now. Charlie, get the candles out of the trunk where we keep the magic paraphernalia. Anything you say of all. The women remove their clothes and the men form a circle. So I recently discovered this dirt cheap regional horror film from Michigan. God, that's a great way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need to know about it. (laughs) Uh, It's called The Devil Master, also known as The Demon Lover, probably more widely known as that. Um, The version I had had Devil Master on the the cover. Um, It's from 1977. It was filmed in Michigan by two people. One of them went on to have a sort of long career in genre filmmaking. Yeah. Didn't he direct one of our favorite movies? Hell Comes to Frogtown. There you go. Yeah. Donald G. Jackson. (laughs) And if you look up his IMDb or his like letterbox list, Mm -hmm. it's like this career is much deeper than you would expect. They're like multiple hell comes to Frogtown sequels there's something called roller gator which we definitely have to see <gasps> yeah i saw that and um yeah i didn't even like look into it because i'm like i can't i just yeah. can't it's too much and we will get more into the behind the scenes who donald g jackson is as this goes on because that is kind of the investigative side of this episode but before right. we get into that i do kind of just want to talk about the devil master the demon lover as its own movie for mm-hmm. a while it feels like the kind of thing where you would never hear of this director again. Like, it feels like a bunch of 20-somethings pulled all their beer money together to, like, film on the weekends in between partying. There's a ton of, like, slashers and, like, ritualistic satanic movies yeah. of this ilk from the 70s and 80s, for sure. It still lives on in spirit through, like, the Matt Farleys of the world. But uh, around, like, the 70s <laughs> and 80s, like, this was, like, It's like a, a dime routine. a dozen. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, like, for no-budget regional filmmaking, I found this movie kind of impressive. Like, I found it kind of entertaining. (laughs) You did. I think so. I found it entertaining. I mean, I wouldn't say, like, I don't know. I kept thinking, like, would you recommend this to someone? And I think I wouldn't off the bat unless it was, like, one of our people. You know what I mean? Like, somebody who actually goes out and tries to find things like this. Let me put it this way. Of all the people we record this podcast with, I'm like, Brittany will be the only one <laughs> with the patience for this episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched it twice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I had to watch it twice because I couldn't make out a lot of everyone's face. Yeah. But we'll, we can talk about that, too. That's kind of unfortunate. The movie's, like, mostly available in, like, public domain transfers. It's pretty low quality. You'll find it on, like, Tubi and stuff like that or, like, yeah. YouTube. It's... I'm almost like wondering. So, did you watch this on like Tubi, or do you have like a copy of it? I have a um, DVD from a, um, or I have a Blu-ray. Oh, from a company that only does public domain transfers on their on their releases. So it's like the same quality, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's called Gold Ninja Video. This was an extra on a disc from another regional film set in Louisiana called Creature from the Black Lagoon, mm. which is why I bought it because it was like such a. You know, any any dirt cheap horror movie set in a swamp, I'm like, I gotta watch that. Yeah. Mm. So in the movie, this is a satanic ritual movie, not a slasher film. That's like the distinction it has in that genre. And one other thing about it, too, before we talk about the plot is like, where's the love? Like the lover. Um, They call him the demon lover in the movie I, like, because he's obsessed with staging an orgy among his friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, true. Like part of I I got this con- not confused, but I think like at first when you said demon lover, I kept thinking of my demon lover. Former movie of the month. Yeah, it was we loved it. And I thought it was going to be a little more on that end. Like I thought it was going to and like just to kind of throw this out there when I got the copy of it on Tubi, the description was like a housewife 
gets sucked into like a satanic cult and I'm like, oh, like that falls into what I think a demon lover would be like. And it's not like that at all. Maybe that's why I want to keep calling it the devil master because he is like the master of a devil figure in the film. It makes more sense, devil master. So we're talking about a character named Laval who um, has 80s metalhead hair, even though this is the 70s. You know what he who he looks like? Who's that? Do you remember the Beauty and the Beast TV show in the 90s with Ron Perlman? And yes. he was the Beast? Yeah, he's got a Lion King He looks look. just like Ron Perlman as the Beast. I buy that. And we should 100%. say that, um, we'll get further into this as well, but he is Jerry Yunkins, um, who is like the producer and co-director of this film. Yeah. Um, and... Credited in the end credits as Christmas Robbins, um, is who plays Laval, apparently. Um, so he's got an alter ego, uh, credits himself as two different names in the movie. Not surprised. Not surprised either. He is a true believer in like the Anton LaVey sense. Like he believes he can conjure the devil through these like rituals among his friends, but his friends are not true believers. They just want to drink beer. And they think that the like ritualistic satanic stuff is just a fun thing you do. Are they like, Oh, he said he was going to do like some spiritual stuff. Like, yeah. like they're almost acting like they're going to have like their palms red or like, it's like a funky astrology thing. <laughs> yeah. And they're partying. Like he's upstairs trying to prepare the ritual and they're just throwing this big, case of beer like blow out downstairs waiting for him to get his shit together until he comes downstairs and shouts uh grab the candles from the box of magic paraphernalia all the men <laughs> strip uh all the women strip down and the men form a circle um he wants to stage this like blood orgy in the middle of this living room um <laughs> and his friends are like fuck no we're not gonna have like orgiastic sex uh, for your like weird side project we're leaving and he gets super pissy about it and super pissed the rest of the movie is so loose from there. Laval gets his revenge by individually killing his friends in these like nefarious but distanced ways. He like summons this bull demon that has glowing eyes. Honestly, this is like one of the things that really impressed me about the movie. It's like a gorilla suit with these like bull horns and its eyes glow red. And it always um, is accompanied by this like smoke machine. It looks it's pretty not the cool. Worst. Like yeah. I've seen worse, way worse. Like I think that um god when we did our uh, metal exploitation episode and we talked about um Rock and Roll Nightmare and I mean Rock and Roll Nightmare was shitty but it had a much bigger budget than this movie and the puppets were like so pretty silly. Silly, right. Yeah. And this like looked really good, I think. Or even on this same disc I watched um Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's not that can't be what it's called. Creature from Black Lake. I don't know why it's a oh. black lagoon. Well, I mean, that is a creature too. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like part of me is like, that, wasn't that like a pop- No, that's a good movie. <laughs> I meant movie. Creature from Black Lake. The marketing got Whatever. to me. Black Lake, Black Lagoon, the Black Sea. But in, a, black in Creature from the Black Lake, that character is just a gorilla suit. Like they didn't even try anything else. <laughs> like um, they tried to make it this like Bigfoot creature in the swamp, but he's just like regular sized guy in a gorilla suit. Uh, so at least this movie like added some things onto the gorilla the suit. The glowing eyes, him. which probably wasn't the easiest thing to do. Right. So that thing pops up sometimes to like claw these people to death. Sometimes Laval just makes them kill each other. Like he'll make one crash a car. Oh, the into driving, the, other. The, yeah. the possessed driving scene was one of my faves. Or he'll make one shoot the other one in the dick with a crossbow. Like <laughs> just kind of various ways. And the <laughs> movie also turns in this like cop procedural where this like terrible husband cop figure sort of bumbles around and makes tasteless jokes as he like investigates the murders of these girls. It's all kind of like loose 
kind of standard low budget fare, but I found it charming. Yeah, same, same. Like, um, it doesn't fully make sense if you're watching it for like an actual story because there were times where i'm like wait why are we here and like why are they doing that and whatever i don't care like this is kind of fun every scene is kind of its own thing and i think what really holds it together to me is laval himself fascinating Uh, figure (laughs) very interesting and the way he delivers his lines mm, so talented um i'm kidding (laughs) he's horrible like he um the way he he does like his line delivery it's like literally like he's reading off of a teleprompter and he's in the sixth grade and he's trying to do like school news but it's it's funny and he is the producer and co-director of the movie he is and i think that's worth noting early just because the movie is pretty much all about how badass he is even though he is like the villain of the piece like you know he has that beautifully curly metalhead hair he wears this giant like falconer's glove we go to his karate classes to show how cool he is oh, at karate yes, the karate i forgot about the karate <laughs> we also watch his knife throwing skills as he practices those in he the just woods really loves himself oh it's fantastic yeah bit of like would you call this like somewhat of a vanity project oh a hundred percent yes okay yeah. good <laughs> and i think that's what's kind of fascinating about it is like Okay, this guy's obviously full of himself, but I love that kind of like outsized ego, especially when someone is such small potatoes like this. And it's fascinating. He is kind of interesting to look at. Like, I kind of get it. Like, I wouldn't want to hang out with this guy, but like. He's just like this big old, like, Midwestern yeah, <laughs> metal metalhead. Head. Yeah. I don't know that I would uh, stay when he proposed an orgy among me and my friends. I think I would leave as well. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye, sir. (laughs) But uh, I kind of got it. Like, I I could see how he would be like a cult leader. I get that like enigmatic figure from him. Yeah. That Anton LaVey like bullshittery. He's really good at that. Is there much else to talk about here? I kind of figured this would be a short episode because the movie's pretty thin. That Yeah, like the movie isn't like the meat of it. I think that what we're going to talk about next is really. Yeah. And I honestly, and I, I think you might have even said this when you initially brought it up when we were talking about like, you know, what have you been watching lately a couple episodes ago? That like this is probably what you would recommend over the movie. Yeah, I think it's not the movie itself. Yeah. It's the behind the scenes documentary mm-hmm. about the movie that really makes this yes. worth seeking out. Yeah. We we uh, we work well together because we do uh, a filmmaking style called Zen film. Which means we don't use and it's akin to guerrilla filmmaking, which um, I'm very no, it's, it's much more spiritually based than guerrilla filmmaking. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't use scripts. Cool. We don't use no scripts. scripts. And you, know, you haven't had a problem with with uh, getting things to make sense. No, it's been an advantage actually, not having to stick to a screenplay. It allows mm-hmm. us to have a lot more freedom, and uh, we don't have the restrictions. So, and it's also it's a lot more entertaining, far more interesting. So three years after Demon Lover. Um, there was a film called Demon Lover Diary, released in 1980, filmed by a documentarian named Joel DeMott. Mm-hmm. Um, her boyfriend was hired as the cinematographer, one of five cinematographers who are not God. credited in the end credits of the movie. <laughs> they were all cut out. Uh, but her boyfriend's like hired and he brings along his girlfriend and an extra buddy to work as like behind the scenes, like stagehands. For this production in Michigan. 
immediately Jerry Yunkins, who plays Laval, uh, also known as Christmas Robbins. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, I like. Let's refer to him as Christmas Robbins. It's a much better moving name. Moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And then Donald J. Jackson, who you know we were talking about earlier, went on to like make actual like recognizable wonderful pictures. films. <laughs> I would not go that far. Uh, they immediately treat her like shit as soon as she arrives. Like they keep talking up her boyfriend as this like great talent, but want to sort of reduce her filmmaking skills to the point where she's a secretary answering phones and like being like a prop master and yeah. just like just being like a gopher. Really, and little do they know, like she made a movie better than the movie they were making <laughs> i think demon lover diary is a must see for anyone who loves documentaries and for anyone who loves movies like demon lover like i was charmed by demon lover but like demon lover diary i was like this is essential cinema <laughs> it is crazy like crazy it is cra- i can't even talk about how crazy and i didn't expect it to go where it went but real quick when I was watching it, because it's available on YouTube, one of the comments... An even shittier quality, unfortunately. Ooh. Yeah, than mm. Demon Lover. It deserves a restoration. Oh, yes. Well, that's what I was going to mention, is somebody in the comments was like, when is Criterion going to pick this up and remaster it? They should. Like, I mean, they probably should. They definitely should. So who knows? And the thing about it is, like, that tension between her and um, Donald G. Jackson is so palpable throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, they hate each other. So really, these two movies are like at war with each other. They're like fighting each other as you watch them um, to the point where they're like pointing their cameras at each other like guns. That's like a dual standoff. You're like watching her and Donald film each other from across the room. I'm trying to like out documentary each other because he is like this is his first film. He is a yeah. Michigan factory worker um, at this point, not a full time filmmaker. And he has put all of his savings and his like family, he has like multiple children. His like family's life in jeopardy to um, film this movie that he's sure is going to be a hit. And didn't Christmas? Didn't he like like his whole finger got chopped off and it he used like the it, insurance money? Sound like he cut off a large chunk of multiple fingers like as like an purpose. insurance scam on purpose <laughs> to fund Demon Lover. Uh, if that isn't like metal, I don't know what metal <laughs> is. And he took a like smaller payout than he could have if he like took it to court and did take didn't take a settlement mm-hmm. so that he could film Demon Lover faster because they were sure this was going to be a hit. Uh, they're talking about like selling toys rights and like I got hu- because I watched Demon Lover obviously before I watched this, so I had huge like secondhand embarrassment watching how they were like you know. I go to the movie theater and everything sucks. So I thought I'm just going to make a really good movie because everything out there is shit. And oh yeah, the press is coming. We're going to have to go like do this like interview. We're going to get like millions of like people reading it. And like just this, like this ego is insane. And that's insane. That's exactly what makes Demon Lover Diary so great is it's like overconfident film bro machismo run wild and then you have joel demott this like little woman who's like she's tinier than them and she's like uh, being pushed around and she just sees right through their bullshit and because it's her movie she can just narrate anytime someone says something's like fucked up and untrue she just like cuts right through it her narration was so good oh it's so satisfying it's so great and i love like moments where you can like catch a glimpse of her in the mirror and she's just like laughing at how stupid everyone is it's so funny (laughs) it's kind of like american movie um but even that movie has like more sympathy 
towards like the uh the subjects in this movie she's like outright hostile towards the people she's filming yeah and for good reason and for good reason let's talk about just some of the circumstances and like scenes that happen here okay uh let's start with donald g jackson's mother (laughs) (laughs) okay so like before pre-mike we were talking about dot's diner oh yeah like does she like give off like huge like dot's diner energy or is it just me yeah like industrial working class like old-fashioned kind of mom like from that like 60s 50s era for sure so the whole thing is like joel is pretending that she's married to jeff um so they could stay in the house because his mom's so religious and it's like oh and you can't tell her that we're making demon lover yeah, she's super religious, so the two of them have to pretend <laughs> that they're married and that they're making a police movie, is how they put it. It's just so funny that, like, he's going around acting like he's, like, this, you know, mastermind, but I'm like, but you're, like, living with your mother and you, you're, you like, making a secret, like, cheese ball, like, demon, a movie called Demon Lover behind her back. Yeah. Like. There's also that scene where uh, his um kids are playing with, like, an empty cardboard box. And she's talking about how he's put like multiple mortgages on the house to pay for this movie. And he's like going to lose his job because he keeps not going to work to film the film. Because he's above like working in a factory. Right. Because he's like, that's trash. I'm like intelligent. And And you know what? In the long run, he did make a bunch of movies. Like, so he did leverage that egotism into a career. And it takes a sort of overconfidence to think that you can make movies in the first place they're really hard (laughs) well yeah well that's kind of like how you the same thing kind of goes with like a a physician like a lot of them have that like god complex because like you have to have like the the nerve to do something like you know literally like tear someone open and fix their organs so hold someone's life in your hands right probably the same thing with like making a movie and like pushing everyone to like i could not do that yeah like, I would be like, hey, can you film this for me? And if somebody said no, I'd be like, all right, bye. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's even harder when it's your friends and they just want to, like, hang out. And you're like, no, I'm the boss now. But he's, like, totally fine, like, reminding everyone at all times, I am the director of this picture. And you will do this and that because, you know, I'm And he keeps, I'm like, taking here. the camera from the yeah. cameraman because he thinks he can do it better. And that's the one thing Joel pokes at him a lot is she's like, he really wants to direct this movie himself, but he's scared that he's going to, like, fuck it up. So he, like, <laughs> keeps hiring these cinematographers so he can say like oh so and so did a bad job so if there are any like faults with the final product he can like kind of pass the blame and meanwhile like his mom she probably is like kind of a bigot (laughs) it's like my biggest guess but she's really sweet to these people and even though they have to like lie to her and like walk on eggshells around her, she's like the only nice person they run into in Michigan. I know. Whenever she's like, "Can y'all please keep it down?" Yeah. Or hey, can you like make sure that film stuff doesn't get in the carpet? It's gonna mash it all up. And can you pick up all your cigarette butts, please? <laughs> like them, like she is the only one that act- actively hates this film. She's like, "I hate this movie. I hope it's never gonna be filmed. I hope it's just over now." Um, meanwhile, her son is like burning every social bridge in the world to all get it made. Except for um, Ted Nugent, which I'm sure we'll get to later. Let's talk about Ted Nugent now. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> Ted Nugent's in this movie. <laughs> I was like, I, Brandon, I had to rewind and rewind. And I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> I'm sorry. What? And I knew it was Ted Nugent when I saw all the fucking animal heads on that wall. They go to and- his like hunting lodge in Michigan. God. So real quick about Ted Nugent. My best friend, when I was probably like maybe in the third or fourth grade, 
she was like bragging because she's like, my dad is like sending me and my sister to Ted Nugent's hunting camp. And I remember being like, oh, like, didn't he marry a kid? Um, (laughs) So he has a hunting camp for kids. I don't know if it still exists, but I'm like, oh, God, of course, like he's talking about his guns and all the ammo and, you know, what can kill an elephant or not. He's so gross. I have a question about Ted Nugent that I don't have an answer to. Okay. So you never see it in the behind the scenes documentary, but in the final act of Demon Lover, there's a scene in the staircase where there's like a full on Nazi flag, like a swastika flag hanging over the staircase. Probably Ted Nugent's house. Is that Ted Nugent's house? If not, whose fucking house is that? I would... I'm like 90% sure, Ugh. but we can dig into that it. That is definitely his vibe. He is so <laughs> gross. He's so disgusting. Yeah, recently, um, Tim Heidecker's Office Hours show, like, they had, like, a video of him. And, of course, he's, like, this major Trump supporter. But he does this thing where he, like, constantly, like, licks his lips and, like, slithers his tongue out while he talks. And it's Ugh. so gross. thought I'd share that. I think there's, like, a scene of him eating cereal with his kid in his lap in this movie. It's so fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Joel DeMott's really, like, focusing on how nasty Ted Nugent is. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, it doesn't end funny, though. Like... No. It's insane. The last ten minutes of this are scarier than any two seconds of uh, the actual (laughs) film that she's documenting. They get into a big blow up at Ted Nugent's house and decide to run away that night from the, the film. Like they're just running away from the set. They're going to go back home to New York with like no money. um, just like getting away from Donald G. Jackson. Cause doesn't the fight break out because like Donald keeps like promising them, like we're, you're going to do this. And like, they start to realize like, Oh, he's probably not going to fucking give us any credit or any money. So let's make a contract and like make him sign it. And yeah, he does sign the contract, but isn't that where the shit kind of starts? Um, the final argument is with Jerry, um, because he wanted to light, a scene by candlelight by putting candles on the oh, floor. Oh, that's... Yes. And it was too low light for them to <laughs> see anything on camera. And if you watch the end product, like, it is fucking hard to see anything on that screen. <laughs> so he was probably wrong. But they they get in this argument and they're already tense because Ted Nugent's house is a fucking scary, like, redneck fortress. Um, and it ends with them running for their lives terrified that donald g jackson is going to shoot them dead for like joel is like crying yeah it's so scary because they borrowed ted's gun and keep bringing it to other locations right like that part i mean i'm once again not surprised but they're just like yeah let's borrow this like these guns and i'm like who borrows (laughs) guns and like that was freaking me out yeah so they flee across state lines back to new york um scared to stop for gas like peeking over their shoulders to see if Donald Jackson is like chasing them. With Fucking terrifying. Ted Nugent's like elephant killing gun. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god. So okay, let's talk about like the reason that they're mad at Donald Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk. So he has no plan or no idea what he wants to do. And if you watch Demon Lover, it makes sense that he doesn't. The movie has no structure to it really. It's just a bunch of scenes. Um, after that initial party where Laval gets mad that no one's interested in the orgy, he just sort of like kills them one by one. And the scenes just sort of feel loose and like improvisational. And it turns out they were, he would go to set every day with no idea what he wanted to shoot. And as a result, the production stretched on for years, like over multiple weekends years or something. like Yeah. And these people come from New York with no money to their name. This is Joel and her, her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And, they're supposed to shoot it in like 15 days and go back home. That's like the window of time they have. 
they lose their jobs over this. They like are just like possibly gonna skip rent. You and know, like, like he doesn't he he promises like oh like they're like we'll do it for free, but you reimburse us for like all of our expenses. And he didn't reimburse them, but he's like here's five hundred bucks, which yeah. like probably didn't cover shit. And I think the contract they signed is for them to get like royalties on this movie, which now is in the public domain. Like no one's making money off right. of the Demon Lover. Right. So yeah, he's just making shit up on the fly and like acting like he has this grand vision and they see right through his bullshit. And you're like, this movie will never get made because you don't know what you're doing. Right. Because they're like, well, you don't know what you're doing. All the actors are shit like everyone like when they're like doing their lines they're like <laughs> way f messed up yeah. like it's like nobody knows their lines and you, you can feel that tension like they just keep getting more and more frustrated where it's like why are we here right like wh- where's the end like what's there's nothing coming out of this one of the bigger blow-ups in the middle of the movie this is when he bribes them with the 500 dollars that they cannot say no to because they're dead broke right uh they go to film these three girls having like a slumber party and then in the middle of the scene, one of the girls starts spraying um, shaving cream over her friends um, and it gets all over the fancy lenses that the cinematographer like makes his you know living yeah. off of. And he gets super pissed and he's like, you damaged my equipment. I got I got to go. Like, I'm right. So like, I'm, I'm doing this for free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing everything and you're fucking up. Like the only thing I have that helps with my livelihood. And he's like, well, we'll fix the equipment. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, oh, God, he's like. And I don't know how he is in real life as a person beyond this, but he just has that like abusive thing. Like when abusers are like, oh no, like you're thinking that this is going to happen, but don't worry about it. I'll pay for it. It's not a big deal. Stay like. They're not at all comforted by anything he says. They just need money. They can't right. go home. They're basically like being blackmailed and held prisoner because <laughs> they have no <laughs> on the set of gas. Human lover. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just a wild film. Like I'm trying to think of other examples. There's like a um a sequence where the third wheel that like goes on the trip with them like gets laid at the house party sequence. Yes. Uh, that Joel has like a lot of fun. Finally, she has a project to do. That's like her own creative <laughs> thing. And she basically like tries to get her buddy laid and like hooks him up with this like extra on the and set. And films it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> And she films a little bit of them hooking up. Now you might be able to explain this to me. Cause like I couldn't keep up with it, but is it like Kathy, the foster sister, Who's oh, like geez. married, but also has a boyfriend and he has a girlfriend, but she's like doing stuff with her foster brother. Basically, one of the other guys <laughs> behind the scenes has like three wives, more or less. Yes. And one of those wives is also his like half sister. Oh. Um, and he's trying to get it set oh up God. so that they all live like, Incest, within a block of each other. It's here again. Oh, you're right. We cannot escape this. We can't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that to me, like I like I remember like watching it and it's so like nonchalantly put in here where I'm like, wait, what? He's bragging about it, but it's like the more he brags, the like grosser it's the sounds. grosser it gets. So I think uh, the movie where the part of the movie where um all this like incest, you know, foster sister, half sister stuff comes out with Kathy, that's like where it picks up like momentum and becomes like insane because like right after that is like the ted nugent stuff that is so crazy yeah i also just want to say i remember recently looking into donald g jackson i think i was looking at the wikipedia page for hell comes to frogtown and i noticed there were multiple sequels (laughs) and i think on the wikipedia page for 
Hell Comes to Frogtown 3. Um, I found the snippet about Zen filmmaking. Can't believe they're three. Um, did you read about Zen filmmaking at all? No. Okay. So later in his career, when he was making all these straight to VHS movies that he sold like on the... Um, he would go to like horror conventions and have his own table set out. Kind of like a very low level Charles Band uh, like distributor, you know, of his own stuff. Uh, <laughs> he created this thing with a collaborator called Zen filmmaking. And what they would do is film without a script. And they tried to pass it off as this like heady intellectual exercise where they're making these B pictures, but they're actually like philosophically like elevated because they're like, you know, channeling the Zen of the picture mm. and letting the movie dictate what they're going to do. <laughs> oh no. It sounds exactly like how this movie it was made. It sounds like Demon Lover. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it was hell the to work with of, them. Of Zen <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> So, yeah, it's like this movie really just exposes this guy as like a charlatan. (laughs) But does he need to be exposed? Like, is this history's greatest villain and he like needs this expose to like take him down? I don't know. He's pretty small potatoes. Right. I don't know how I feel about that. Because in the end, he got the movie made. It is a film I saw. And it's available to the world. Well, yeah, true. It's still being distributed um, through like... Tubi. Tubi and like kind of, you know, the yeah. drags of the internet. I know. Like part of me is like he wasn't... He was obnoxious. Very. But like he wasn't someone that I was like, oh, I fucking hate that guy. After I watched it. Like I wasn't like, oh, I love that guy. I'm just like, I don't really care that much about him, but... That's interesting that he's a you know a big psycho. It's a good thing he never had more power than he did. Like if he was like the head of like a major studio, there would be like Me Too stuff about him. Um, that's that's maybe Probably. a leap to You're make, right. but he's like kind of an abusive creep in the film, and he's actively power hungry and actively yeah. misogynistic against Joel Demott. Whatever happened to Joel Demott? You know, her and her boyfriend yeah. filmed a few documentaries in the 80s and 90s and they looked cool like one was about uh high school life in new york in the 80s one was this road trip movie where they collaborated with other people about a depeche mode concert i can't remember if that's her or her boyfriend that worked on that i mean i'll watch it yeah regardless that sounds that sounds really cool is depeche mode your favorite band that's my favorite band i'm like that sounds like my fantasy (laughs) (laughs) i think in that one it's like teenagers from like multiple cities travel to one um, Depeche Mode concerts. So you kind of get this like road trip movie and like was the, the one of the big one of the Rose Bowl. Could not tell you. Okay. I'm not as big of a Depeche Mode fan <laughs> as you are. I do like that one album a lot though. Speaking spell. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. That's probably their most like poppy yeah. synth album. It gets like a little darker from that point on. But I feel like you would. We'll talk Depeche Mode yeah. later. Give <laughs> some more recommendations. Maybe we need a Depeche Mode episode. I'm sure we could put one together. I mean, it wouldn't be much thinner material to build a whole episode around than this. Um, I just remember watching Devil Master slash Demon Lover and then watching Demon Lover Diary and thinking, I'm going to write something about these two movies together. And I sat down to write and I was just like, I need to experience this with someone else. I need someone else to see how ridiculous this is and Thank how you good for, for Demon sharing. Lover Diary is. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Like, I never, ever, 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 ever would have came across Demon Lover Diary unless you, like, recommended it, which is crazy because it is such, like, this, I don't know, I don't want to say it's, like, a masterpiece. It's but a hidden it's gem. Hidden gem, and it just, it has so much meaning to it, and I love, like, how it really captures that time so well. Like, I could 
feel it. I could smell it. Like just the <laughs> the grittiness of like this like homemade video in like 1980. Like I, that to me is like such a treasure. It's both like a great insight into how hard it is to make a low budget film yeah. in the first place and like wrangle all your friends to like actually work on a creative project together. Like that is hard work and it doesn't, it doesn't make it seem easy. It's like hard work and it doesn't like have a lot of payoff either. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, Oh, you're going to lose your job and you're going to struggle and you're going to like live in hell. Like, yeah. could you imagine like being stuck in the house of this guy that's treating you like shit and you have no money to escape and you have to finish this movie and then mate And then I don't know, you end up like leaving because you, you might die. And, and that's probably happened so many countless times, and especially with like movies like this, where people are like, I'm going to give up my job and I'm going to risk it and I'm not going to make money and we'll see what happens. It's also doesn't pull any punches, though. Like, I, I think like for Donald Jackson, like I felt multiple ways about him in this, like obviously an asshole and like an abusive personality, even though there's not much damage you can do with the abuse except for with his immediate circle. But you know, I still felt a little, like, admiration that he, like, still got this movie completed. Like, I feel like yeah. that is a feat in itself. Yeah. I do think that Demon Lover Diary needs to be seen. Do you think that someone would enjoy it without having seen Demon Lover? Can you watch them separate? Oh, I think 100% yes. Because, like, and I was thinking about that, too. I'm like, had I not seen Demon Lover first, would I have felt differently? And I don't think you really need to see it because... It doesn't make that much sense. And it makes it, <laughs> Demon Lover made more sense by watching Demon Lover Diary. Like, I feel like you get more of what the movie was trying to be, you know, what the final product was supposed to be by watching it being made. I still would kind of recommend Demon Lover for people who <laughs> like this hurt. kind of filmmaking. Yeah, there's a I don't know if we talked about it, but the car scene, there is a great death where um, a woman gets hit by a car and like immediately her whole body hits the windshield and just like splatters into red like, like very red bright blood. red like yeah. blood <laughs> <laughs> there's some good moments in it and it's like i see the promise of this like filmmaker who really didn't rise that far above that level but you mm -hmm. know made a bunch of straight to vhs horror movies that people yeah. purchased directly from him and I... we could all be so lucky he had a larger audience than we do <laughs> so <laughs> i, I know like laugh. we're talking shit about him and i'm like god <laughs> we'll never get to that Frogtown level yeah yeah <laughs> and i mean honestly i love hell comes to Frogtown. i'm glad this like led to that movie <laughs> yeah well next week on the show we are gonna um talk about some more trash like i mentioned earlier we're gonna talk about eating raul which is currently on the Criterion channel. Ooh. So even okay. though Demon Lover Diary didn't get its like uh, crisp restoration and you kind of have to watch it on the dregs of YouTube, Eating Raul was plucked from the garbage bin and cleaned up. And you know what? Demon Lover Diary may make its way into Criterion and you heard it here first. Oh. With Swamp Flicks. It should. It is so good. How do we like contact them obviously they read emails because they sent me a new dvd so can i like we could shoot them an email i honestly think they have a suggestions box oh my god yeah. we should drop it in there <laughs> and maybe we'll get a free copy maybe you can write the liner notes in the uh <laughs> in the little booklet that comes with it oh my god <laughs> uh, i don't want to do any commentary tracks i think we would run out of things to say about uh 20 minutes <laughs> into it but uh <laughs> It's I think we would have like a lot of fun doing the commentary at the end or like, whoa, look at all this weird stuff at Ted Nugent's house. <laughs> and in the meantime, I will link in the show notes that um, 
that list of divine out of drag yeah. movies as well. Yeah. Just so we can uh, collect That's all those. Very important research. Yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> it was purely a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> Especially since Out of the Dark was uh, obviously the kind of like trash I've been uh, reveling in lately. Mm. Well, we'll talk to y'all next week. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.